Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for the Church Planner Podcast, where the jokes are not funny and the uh, commentary has nothing to do with church planning. But the podcasters are extremely sexy. (laughs) And the listeners... Well, they're addicted because they keep coming back <laughs> week after week. Yes, yeah, suckers. Did you re-listen to that interview we did with Francis Chan? I did not. Not yet. I'll listen today. If you have not listened to Hardcore Church Planning, last week we've got an interview with Francis Chan. You should listen to that podcast for two main reasons. Uh, one, because it's got Francis Chan. And two, because it's got Pete Mitchell. Yeah, you know, I went back and listened to it, and you know, it's just what I do. I I interview big wigs like Francis Chan and Rick Warren, and then I don't think about it again. It's well, no big deal. I think the funniest part is that's an interview we did about oh, I don't know, a year ago. Yeah, what happened to that interview, Pete? I promptly lost it and couldn't <sighs> find like the holy grail of interviews. We interview Francis Chan, and I don't know what I did with it. Can't finally find it someone decent will talk to us, and you lose it. And then I lose it. Who does that? Who does that? So I thought it was funny because Ruben's like, I kept waiting for Pete's question, you know, of if uh, you were to get in a a physical fight, who who would win? And I didn't do that to Francis. I'm like, that was before Hardcore Church Planning podcast had even started. So who would have, uh, like, who would we have asked him? You know, I don't know, because here's the thing. The topic was how to make a stand and fight sex trafficking 
And right. how do you go from that, such a serious topic, such a heart-wrenching topic? And oh, by the way, Francis Chan, um, who would win in a fight, you or Rick Warren? I mean, hey, Francis, this is all a bit negative. Uh, we'd like to lighten the mood here and uh, have some, you know, just jovial humor, if you don't mind. And uh, we just want to know who'd win in a fight, you or your wife. <laughs> but it, it actually, I was re-listening to it. It's a really good interview. And I mean, yeah. Francis, of course, he's Francis, right? So he's just always in my opinion, on fire. I mean, you, you pretty much can't find a YouTube video or anything like that where he's just not throwing down on it. Yeah. And he really throws down on this one, you know, and, and talks about his own personal uh, reasons for like really getting into the fight against sex trafficking and the thoughts that he had, like, you know, he, he was over in Africa and uh, he was with a bunch of pastors and, they're like, oh, you know, if Bill Gates just took 1% of his money, you know, think of what he could do for this community. And and Francis is like, and I'm like, wait a second, guys, we're pastors. Why can't we do something here? I'm thinking about buying this truck. You know, do I really need that truck? If I took that money, I could buy a school over here. I could build a whole school. And like, you know, just the the thoughts that were going through his head of the the financial resources that we've got in America and what we do with our money the impact it can have in other parts of the world, which of course I related everything back to Long Beach. Yeah, we can't, you know, you can't go, well, I'm not going to buy a truck and you could build a school, not in Long Beach, California, but think about what impact you could have. Yeah. And I mean, this week you and I, we talked to our, um, our, our VA of two years over in the Philippines and, you know, we, we, uh, Google Skyped him or hang out at him, I guess. I mean, we, we talked to him like that. That's probably my third or fourth time actually talking to him. Most of our communication is via email and he's like showing us around right with his, his laptop. He's like holding it around the camera so we can see everything. And I'm just like thinking to myself, geez, Louise, man, like, yeah, he loves working for us. And it's like the money that we pay him has such a huge impact over there, but it's because of where he lives. Yeah. And I mean, it's not, I don't know if I'm even making any sense, but it's just what I'm trying to get at here is the impact that we can make oh, yeah. in other communities, but it doesn't have to just be overseas, right? That's just where we see like, oh, wow, you know, I gave 10 bucks. That's like a hundred dollars to them. You know, it, it's just like, we can make that kind of an impact even here. Yeah. I don't know if that makes with, any sense. With, no, no, absolutely. Without even blinking, we can do that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we don't miss the money. I mean, you know, we're on that call and, and, you know, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny because we call him up and like he has no clue what's coming. We're like, hey, you've been working for us for two years. And <laughs> we started off um, with, we wanna... um, we're going to have to fire you, <laughs> 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 which is probably like been his fear for the last week that I told yeah, him we wanted the, to do this The next call. day he mentioned he had a whole speech rehearsed and I felt bad because we were actually calling him just to say, hey. Uh, you know, we, we, we want to tell you how much we appreciate you. And then we gave him a raise. We gave him a raise of like, uh, health insurance. We asked him what he needed and he mentioned, Hey, I actually, um, I have this, but I could, so boom. And then, uh, you had offered him an iPad because you had said, Hey, you know, you've been working for us for two years. You have a tablet, but you never been. But anyways, he's never seen the that. magazine. And that's what he does for us more than anything else is he's the guy that actually does the layout 
on the two main magazines that that I publish, Church Planner Magazine and also the uh, MMA one. Yeah. So, which is MMA main event if you want to check it out. But he, uh, you know, for him, like that was huge for us. It's it's not a massive deal um, what that would cost him, but but for him, it's huge. And, well, yeah, for um, him, it's literally like a month and a half's pay. Yeah. So, to but get I, that, you know, I like I've always deal. felt this. It, if you look at what the Mormons can do, because the Mormons tithe. And they say on average, the average believer in the United States gives 2 to 3%. And I always love to sit and listen to those guys that go, tithing isn't biblical today. Um, no, and greed isn't either, nor is selfishness. And if you look at it, you know, scholars look at, at the whole tithing thing, that actually was closer to 16 or 17% once you had done the tithes, the offerings, you know, the, the stuff you had to do every seven years, the annual offerings. It, it turns out to be a lot more than 10%. And so those arguments often, you know, if, if, if the Old Testament is the shadow, the letter of the law, and the spirit of the law is meant to blow that out and actually uh, replace it as something better, then your argument's really poor. But, but where I always come back to is this, that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kingdom impact is what we're talking about. People who give, give for kingdom impact. They don't give because they have some belief in tithing or 10% or they're bound to the letter. But the Mormons have been able to accomplish everything that they've accomplished just by adhering to the letter of the law of 10%. Now, I, I you know, Walter Martin, we've, we've interviewed his daughter uh, on this podcast before, and her father was the late, great Dr. Walter Martin, who founded Christian Research Institute. And every radio show that he ended would always end this way. Uh, are you willing to do for the truth what the cults do for a lie? And so to bring this all back, if the church would not give the average 2 to 3% of their, their income, that's, that's a national average for born-again Christians, um, but if they would give that full 10%, imagine what we could accomplish. And I think a lot of the reason that, that people don't give is because they don't believe in where it's going in the modern church. I think that's part of the issue. Um, but I think that, you know, kind of like, like what you're saying, if, if people really believed it was going to mission, if people really believed it was going to fight injustice and sex trafficking, we would probably have more people willing to give. And I've, I've heard these conversations. Well, I've, I've heard from people who tithe saying, hey, man, I know my whole tithe is going to barely cover the electrics uh, of this building. And it needs to be paid. You know, fair enough. But, you know, that, that's how people think. I think part of the problem, too, is that we as a church are not good at informing our congregations of what happens to the tithe. Mm. And I mean, it's hard to get excited when you're like, okay, great. It it looks like, okay, from someone in the audience, it looks like we are giving money literally to the guy who's up on stage. Now, that's right. totally not what it is. But imagine it from our point of view, right? There's this dude up there. He calls for people to t pass the bucket. They pass the bucket. You never see that dude put money in. And you just assume, okay, well, that money is going to him. Like, that's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah. So, you know, I remember we were talking to somebody or maybe it was an interview or a podcast. Maybe it was one of the events we were at. I don't remember. But they were talking about what they as a church do. Um, and, and 
they basically do the whole, uh, you know, adopt a poor African child. And um, as a church, though, and they had adopted something like, you know, the deals where it's like give 30 bucks a month. Right. And they had done something like 2000 kids. And that church knew, like, this is what we do as a church. Now, imagine if your congregation knows and understands that where the money is going, they're trying to sponsor more and more of these poor kids in these, you know, horrible villages. Uh, I mean, Africa is a great example of just, I mean, sin run amok. Um, A lot of the same type of uh, environment that is now we're seeing a lot with like ISIS and ISIL, whatever you want to call them of just, you know, brutality, just massive brutality. Um, That stuff's been going on in Africa for, you know, generations. And of course, you know, it's the big news because it's in all these areas now that we've uh, so-called liberated. And so, Oh, look at, you know, they're look at what they're doing now. But my point is like, as a church, that church could get behind it because people understood people knew. That's why, I mean, at our church, um, the other day, I was just sharing with the congregation a couple of weeks back. Hey, guys, you need to understand that we give to church planners. And right. um, that's that's what we do as a church. And I, and, and I want you to know that it's not just going here to this building and, and paying our two part-timers that we've got on staff. I mean, the money also goes to other church planners and church planning organizations. That's right. what we do. It's important, I think, for your congregation to know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Pete, how did we how did we get into are we supposed to talk a bunch of nonsense at the beginning of the show? I mean, you know, can we play a soundbite something ridiculous? I mean, this well, is way too serious brother, too soon. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you gonna do when the church planner podcast runs wild on you? Jeez, I gotta take a leak so bad I can taste it. <laughs> That's more like it. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so what kind of smack talk do you have for us today, Peyton? You know, okay, so uh, if you've not been to the podcast before, uh, no apologies, but we end up uh, talking a bunch of nonsense, normally not quite so serious right off the bat. But anyway, so last Saturday we had uh, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back in the Jones house for Libby G, who is six years old, and we uh, watched up into the very end, and I did tape record her. Um, watching kind of the big reveal. And did so she she's watching where he reveal. goes, what's did, that? Did she already know the big reveal? No, no. And she, are you going to tell Jimbo and, uh, and Hector Mora what the big reveal is? Cause I don't even know if they know. Yeah. Yeah. Jimbo and Hector, since you guys have never seen star Wars, basically Darth Vader tells Luke, he's his father. <laughs> <laughs> that was just like kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> that was awesome. That was one of the best moments of my life right there. And, hey, serves you guys right for listening to this podcast for almost two years and never watching Star Wars. I, I love that we didn't have to say it was a spoiler alert because it's been out for 30 <laughs> Makes plus it even years. better. <laughs> so, so basically, uh, Libby G's watching it. But, you know, we had watched The Clone Wars together because I have a child now. That's my excuse for watching cartoons. I've been watching them all this time. <laughs> so... Uh, so anyways, you know, but now I have an excuse to watch them. So we watch a whole Clone Wars. So what I've realized now. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have played this before. I am your father. There's the big reveal. It, it, you there can you play go. that anytime and it fits. Okay. But, uh, you know, so 
I realized that the big reveal, like she, she looks at me and I've got this all, all recording and she looks at me and goes, daddy, is that true? <laughs> and she would not believe it for like two days. She wouldn't believe it until she heard me talking to Dan Torres about it. And I, I just said, oh no, she doesn't believe it. <laughs> of course, you know, she, she feels kind of dumb because I'm talking about her in the third person. She goes, I do. I believe it. So I think she's caught on now that this is really true. She's asked me like probably five times in those two days following, is it true, dad? And, but I realized like this isn't, which is exactly how I felt at like seven, eight years old when, when Empire came out. I've, I've, you know, that was the big thing. We used to get this magazine called Hot Dog Magazine. And I don't know, you, you probably didn't get that, but. No, I uh, did not get Hot Dog Magazine. Hot Dog Magazine was the bomb, man. It would come to your class. My parents actually got me a subscription to Thrasher. Oh, dude. I'm, I'm so kidding. I'm so, I was going to so say, wow. First <laughs> night Rider on a Sunday night, and <laughs> now Thrasher Magazine from <laughs> your Baptist pastor happened. father. That never happened. <laughs> <laughs> that was your fantasy. It really was. Morning. I'd be like, oh, I got a thrasher. This is awesome. I don't even know what it is. But I'm like, oh, it's a thrasher. Dude, I so want to make like this little like movie of Pete Mitchell as a little boy. You, you remember uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey? Yeah. Bill and Ted part two. Yeah. And he has the flashback to when he was a kid and he's ate, ate his brother's Easter basket. I don't remember that. No, it, the oh, second God. one was not as good to me as the first. Oh, dude. I, I know you I so really disagree. Liked it, but I, I liked the first better. Yeah. So uh, he has this flashback where he's like, he's young. And it's, of course, it's Keanu Reeves, right? But some actors playing him, and he's like, dude, no way. And he's looking at himself. And uh, we need a little, little vignette that shows you going under the Christmas tree. <laughs> Oh, it'd be so great, man. Open it up on Christmas. Oh, it'd be great. So anyways, <laughs> in my head, it's really good right now. That's Apparently, I'm, I'm like trying to get my head around this. I'm like, uh, okay. Remember, I'm I'm a creative, so it, it it I'm enjoying it on multiple levels right now. Don't but, make uh, me destroy you. <laughs> so I realize with this generation, their big reveal is not that Darth Vader is Luke's father. The big reveal for them, because they already know who Anakin is, is realizing that Anakin is Darth Vader. That's going to be the big reveal. That's, we go, that's been the tough thing for Luke to understand. Yeah. that that I mean, has he seen episode three yet? Yeah, but see, when he watches, like I said, he can't just sit there and watch. He gets <laughs> so fired up, he doesn't sit there. He, he goes, grabs his lightsaber, grabs his speeder, whatever. So, yeah, it's virtual reality for him. He's right now, he's jamming yeah. around, whacking on you with the lightsaber pretty I gave much. him. Yeah, pretty much. That's why I gave it to him. Um, we've actually bought two others since then. Oh, right. He broke the first one, did he? <laughs> no, no. We just wanted ones that lit up and made the sound effects when you like struck them together. Yeah, but see, I thought that might enter a friendship. I, I figured at least, you know, if I gave him a quiet Not Star one, Wars. Would... Not Star Wars. No, if it's pretty much any other toy, it's going to find its way to the trash within the first six hours that he's got it. So, so my neighbor, his little boy turned like four years old and I got him the Thor hammer. Oh, nice. And yeah. And it, and it, the, the, the end of it's like made out of foam, but it's got an air pocket in it. So when you whack it on things, it makes the thunderclap, but it also had like this ice missile or a lightning missile that like plugged into the, the end of the hammer. And when you whacked it on stuff, the air pressure, 
would make it shoot out at things. And they said, no, we threw that away within the like the first like 12 hours nice. because that was shooting into glasses and all over the house and his sister. And they said, yeah, it, it pretty much went in the trash about a week later. Yeah. Yeah. So that almost ended a friendship. So that's my smack talk, man. Well, and, and great smack talk it was. Well, thank you. Thank you. I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> I can't wait I, till next week's uh, sound clip. You know, here's the thing. I don't really have much smack talk today, but I am so looking forward to Jurassic World. Yeah. Like, baby. here it is. It's Friday morning. This is when we record. Uh, I tried to let I tried to get my wife to let me go see it last night, you know, because now on the West Coast, they pretty much show it about eight o'clock on Thursday because it's midnight in New York or I don't know. Somehow they figured it out and they do it. But I got to wait till Sunday. So my uh, my buddy, who's the CEO of Apologetics.com, is like, hey, can you get together for coffee on Sunday? I'm like, no, that's Jurassic Park Day. I'm sorry. <laughs> We all have our priorities, man. I go to church. I go get some lunch. I leave the family and go see Jurassic. Well, Jurassic World, not Jurassic Park. But yeah. Yeah, man. So but if I'm you said Jurassic Park, everyone know what you mean. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why they changed it. They should have just called it Jurassic Park Redo. Yeah. Or something. It, is it part of the storyline? Is it like years later? Is this yeah. like a let's yeah. do it all Well, over I assume it is. I think it's like 30 years later or something. Oh, cool. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's going to be good, man. You can tell. Are you going to see it? Oh, heck yeah. When are you going to see it? Let's go see it. <sighs> well, the wife is really keen on this. There's not often where my wife goes, because she's great, man. Like, I'll take her to the Avengers, and she's kind of like, uh, I don't really want to. Then she sees it and comes out going, that was awesome, right? So Andrea's kind of cool that way, where she's she's not like, you know, like those geek chicks were like, they're so geeky, it's scary, like they're geekier than you, and you kind of worry about them a little bit, you know, like they're going to dress up in costumes and go to oh, I understand like, what you're talking about. Comic-Cons and stuff. Yeah. So she's not like that at all. But my wife writes science fiction, and yet she's not a nerd. She's not a Star Trek person. Sorry, Star Trek people. Because if you like Star Trek, that makes you kind of nerdy, but that's okay. It, Star Trek is awesome, so back off. It is awesome, though, like the original Star Trek. first. You like, know, the I got to tell you, I love the original until I got into the next generation. I loved the next generation more than the original. And yeah. the only yeah. one that I wasn't crazy about, well, I should say that. I, I, I should back this up. Voyager, I didn't watch all of them. It kind of eh, lost me for a bit. I think I could go back and rewatch it now. Deep Space Nine, I enjoyed. Enterprise, I hated and would not watch. And it wasn't until years later that I finally saw it on Netflix. And it wasn't what? until about the second or third season that it actually got good. Wasn't Deep Space Nine that one where they had like those armored aliens and they crack open and they're like these gooey people inside? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. That. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I can see the new stuff. I just, I don't know. It's it's always the makeup gets me for those, you know, where they just give them like big noses and stuff, like well, thick I nose love bridges. What they've done with the remake of the movies? Oh, those have been good, man. Those have been great. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was impressed with those. Yeah, yeah. I, really, I, really I was like impressed those. with with the Wrath of Khan one. I mean, it's never going to be, you know, uh, what, what was his name? Lorenzo. Ah, shoot, Ricardo oh, Montalban. There, never going to be Ricardo yeah. Montalban. Yeah. Rich Corinthian leather. I mean, Khan was, he was dressed in style, man. He had it going on. 
those, he had Muppet costume on. Those were good. You know, growing up, we went and saw um, Star Trek Four. was the first movie that I saw in the movie theater, which is The Voyage Home. That was such a great movie. I love oh, it. Yeah, you know, they were they go good, back man. in time. They go back to the 80s. Yeah. Get a whale because they had to bring the whale back to the they future. They saved the whales. Come on. Yeah. San Francisco, baby. I saw that in the theater. I saw that with my Nana. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah, dude. I'd have my, well, you know, I was a kid. Right? The search so for thought, Spock. That was a great one. Dude, those were all good, man. Yeah. Those the are, only you know, one I so, really okay. didn't like was the first one, Star Trek the movie. That one, I was like, I don't get this. This is weird. Didn't they like meet God? Wasn't that like part of the the deal uh, or something? That, like that I thought was a later one. Wasn't that the Genesis one? No, Genesis that search for Spock. That was Search for Spock. But they didn't meet God. They met God, I think, in Star Trek the movie. Okay, yeah, I, I don't remember, but you know, okay, I might have a little bit of latent Star Trek appreciation in me. It's there. I like the first series. I loved the movies. I actually like all the movies, and uh, even the Borg one. That was pretty cool. I was impressed with that was one. Was that a movie? Yeah, yeah it was a, it was. that was a movie. Yeah, See, Next Generation. Yeah. So I can appreciate The Next Generation. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just haven't really watched it. It it does seem kind of geeky. Look, Star Wars is never going to be geeky, right? Star Star Trek never. can be geeky. Never. No, never, never, never. So, hey, hey. <laughs> so should we, uh, should we crack okay. on with our topic? There is no try. <laughs> Only do. Yeah, I guess we should actually get to our topic. But uh, before we do that, uh, Peyton, who is this week's podcast sponsored by? MoGive. And how would you spell that? M-O-G-I-V. Peyton, let me ask you something. Have you been wanting to get your church started with online giving? I have. Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? I have. Stop it. A better solution is here. MoGive, and that's spelled M-O-G-I-V, is an online and text-based giving platform built built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. I can't even get out their commercial right. (laughs) Go to MoGive.com forward slash Joich to learn more. And remember, there's no E in give. Actually, this is a true story. This week, uh, I'm on the board of directors for apologetics.com. And uh, they're like trying to get a text-based giving solution. So I get this email from the CEO. And he's like, hey, uh, can you talk to our operations guy? Because I know you do stuff with texting. And uh, you know, we're looking at this, this texting solution. And it's like $300 a month for their texting solution to be able to accept uh, payments via text. And I'm like, why don't you guys just check out MoGive? Because they're not $300 a month. Yeah, no kidding, right? And so, you know, I hook them up with Kent over there at MoGive. And they're like, wow, this is way cheaper. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it's $300 a month cheaper. So, Guys, and just so you know, like, I know we've said this before, but, you know, we advertise, but we will only put people on here that we believe in. So guys are actually going to help church planners out. And pays a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) Ah, uh, cha-ching. Yeah, so, all right, here here we go. Here's the here's the sound effect. Great, Scott, it's time for this week's topic. And what is this week's topic, Peyton? Today's topic, this week's topic, it's hard to put a name on it, but I think what I would speak to today is how should the white church react to when there is perceived injustice to the black community? 
And of course, we all know that the context of this is the latest case. And, you know, Pete, you have the benefit of not having seen this. So you're going to speak to it generally. Um, and I know there's always a, a danger, you know, cameras are rolling. We don't always get the full story. But that being said, I'm going to give my take on this because I did watch the video. Well, you're, of what happened you're, you're leaving this kind of vague out there. Yes, let's be specific here. Which video are you talking about? Because we don't know when people are going to well, actually I'm, listen I'm, to this I was just segueing into what the video was about. Okay. So if you have seen the video, the video is a um, bunch of kids at a pool party. You don't see the pool party. I think you see the pool for a second. Um, there was a fight that broke out. This this is best as I understand the situation. Um, the, and, and I saw the headlines. The headlines are things like, you know, a uh, police officer draws gun on teenage boys in Texas. And you're like, wow, you well, know, okay, wh- what's that all boys, about? They got to, I mean, the news has got to say like, black boys. I don't remember. They got to explain the, the, they got to stoke the fire, the media. Right. So, so, you know, I go over there and, you know, I, uh, the first uh, exposure I have is Eric Mason and um, he's a black preacher. He's got a, a uh, picture of he and his daughter at a baseball game. And he says, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, after seeing what happened in McKinney, uh, my daughter's about the same age. If this happened to my daughter, I would have a crisis of sanctification. And as the father of an African-American girl, and she's only six, um, I could relate. And immediately, you know, I thought, wow, what what's happened here? And I go and watch the um, video. And of course, like I said, it's it's a pool party. There's a bunch of uh, kids that are African-American teenagers. And the first clip I see is the, um, and apparently it's a seven minute video. It is chopped up. Uh, but the, the clip I see is uh, cops running and one seems to trip. And as he, you know, it's hard to say if he's tripping or ninja rolling, either one is believable to me. Because when I see the behavior of, of the policeman uh, from, for the rest of the video, it's clear that he's out of control. Now, why he's out of control? Does he have mental health issues? Possible. That happens. Does he, uh, is he having a bad day? Possible. Is he a racist? Possible. Is he scared? Possible. Um, all these things are possible. And I'm not so much today. You have to understand um, the reason why it's not important that Pete has seen the clip is because we're not even going to we're not going to necessarily make a judgment on the whole event. Um, what I want to talk about, and, and I don't think it's wrong to make a judgment. I have a judgment. I, I know what I feel and I, I'm happy to talk about that. But for the purpose of the podcast, the reason that we're doing this isn't, uh, you know, let's just get on here and talk about what happened. The reason that we're on here today is to talk about this clip um, is is to talk about what should our reaction be as the white church, because that's what's concerning me right now as I'm watching this video. So uh, just to give the the rest of the clip, what happens is the um, police officer uh, is running around screaming at everyone, telling everyone to get down on the ground. And what's interesting in the clip is that he's only yelling this to people that are black. Now, the the backstory goes, people from the black community were in this pool in a white community, a gated area, um, and they didn't belong there. I don't don't know the story. I don't know what happened. 
But, um, but the idea is that he's screaming at the, the, the black kids in the video. And as he does, he's, he's literally cuffing and, and manhandling people, um, who are not being violent. They're not aggressing. They're actually far away from him. And he is running out into the street and grabbing them, pulling them back onto a sidewalk in a section of grass. Um, and he's lining them all up and he's screaming at them. Was he the only cop there? No, there were other policemen, but they were not acting like him. Why? They actually Why? were, were if, talking very calmly and coolly. If he was so out of control, why didn't the other cops step in? Well, like, when dude, he pulls his gun, so, so he grabs, he, there's this group of girls standing nearby and he grabs, uh, he tells him, he says, you shut up, you shut your mouth. And they're saying things like, this is wrong. This is wrong. And because he's, you know, he's screaming, he's throwing guys down on the ground. And then, um, he's telling them to get out and to leave. Well, they're on a sidewalk. They're, they're, you know, they've got to be like 15, 20 feet away from him. And he is, but he's just yelling at him. And he's obviously, he's distraught, out of control, scared, something. Something's wrong with him. And so as he uh, goes to, um, uh, it, there's a certain section where he gets up and he runs over to uh, what is later reported as a 16-year-old girl and starts grabbing her by the head and shoving her head into the ground. And it's violent. I mean, at one point, and she's, she's trying, obviously, she's not just, she's not fighting him. She's not swinging at him. But obviously, she's, she seems a bit shocked. Like, she doesn't know what's happening. And, um, you know, he just it's kind of like when you watch people run at a crowd and you just grab the nearest one. That, that's what happened in the video. And he's shoving her to the ground. He slams her on the concrete, which looks like it hurts. Um, and... When those guys rush up, there's also a white guy who rushes up and kind of stands over her. And although he's kind of powerless to do something, he's a big guy. It looks to me as if he is trying to protect her, um, it, 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 but he doesn't know what to do because it's a cop. And then two other guys run up, two African-American young men run up, and he pulls his gun on them. And it does seem to me like he's not noticing the white people are threatened by the white people around him. But anytime there's a black person, he's super threatened, yelling and screaming, cussing at him. And, um, and they're, they're clearly, they're saying, yes, sir, no, sir, uh, sir, I'm sorry, sir. What did I do, sir? You know, um, they're confused. The, the, the overwhelming uh, feeling you get watching the videos, everyone there is really confused. People are saying, what, what's going on? Like, what's happening? You know, no one, no one really seems to know what the deal is. And, the, and, and I'm guessing that the other cops um, were kind of the same because when he pulls his gun on the two guys, they go running. And, but the other cops run up to the cop. One goes off chasing the guys. Um, but the other one um, runs up and grabs the, the, the other cop, like as if to say, no, 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 no. And it, it looks like he's trying to stop the cop from doing something more stupid than what he's been doing. And so, um, eventually the, the, the cop goes back and he, he puts his knees on this frail teenage girl, 16 year old on her back. She's crying. When he first takes her to the ground, she's crying, saying, someone call my mama, someone call my mama. And then he puts his knees on her back 
and he's like got his his full body weight on her and she's just crying you know like she doesn't she doesn't you know uh he's pulled you know comes out in the news he's pulling on her braids and i mean it's just regardless of what happened my my response to that is there is no excuse uh if a husband did that to his wife he would be jailed he would be a criminal and but to for a, an armed man with a bunch of uh lethal gear on him um trained as a killer to do this uh if a soldier did this to a uh, a young girl um it, overseas uh there, there would be an outcry but here is someone who has been sworn to protect and serve and he's doing this to a girl who is not physically aggressing and it's clearly over the top i'm giving my perspective now but uh <laughs> I'm, I'm waxing on here pete but uh but again if it were my daughter i relate to what eric mason said because this girl looks like my daughter and her crime that day, uh, maybe she was trespassing. I don't know. But I just don't think whatever she or her friends were doing justified this kind of behavior. Mm. Yeah. I haven't watched the clip. And not for lack of not knowing that it's out there. It's It's been all over Facebook, all over the news sites that I, I read. And, um, you know, my main reason for not watching it is um is really twofold one my initial reasons were i understand how the media works especially in yeah. the now uh perpetual news cycle like back in the day there was a two uh 24-hour news cycle right stuff would come out in the paper the next morning and then it would be dead by the next uh day's paper in today's day and age everything is about the the ad money that uh media companies get by getting you to look at a blog page, you look at the blog page and ad shows they get paid. That doesn't matter yeah. if you even looked at the ad, doesn't matter anything, right? That's how they make their money. So there are actually a lot of pastors that I've had to uh, not unfriend, but I unfollow their feeds. Their feeds no longer come up in my Facebook because I literally cannot stand how they have become a victim to this media cycle and they're constantly like republishing articles that are meant to inflame by their headlines to get yeah. people to click on it so the media company can make money. And it's usually, yeah. you know, slamming on, oh, you know, Christians are being persecuted here. Christians are being persecuted. It's like, we already know that. The Bible tells us we're going to be persecuted. So why do we need to put this in our newsfeed? Well, it's because we're also Americans and we believe that as an American, you know, we're free and we're free for our own religion. And to me, it's like, okay, but if you're really trying to reach the lost, then that shouldn't be your main focus of, you know, how persecuted are we here in America? Because we here in America have got it great as Christians. I mean, compared to the rest of the world, we got a pretty good gig going on, which is not to say it's perfect. It's far from that. But right. we've got way more freedoms that they've got in the rest of the world. So there are a lot of things that I just don't click on. And so my first initial reactions when I saw that was – Okay, great. You know, they're just trying to, you know, stoke the flames, get more money from advertisers. I don't need to see it. But then it kept going on and on and on. And I was like, okay, this is a bigger deal than it is. Um, and I still haven't watched it mainly because I don't need to see another video to know that there is a problem in this country. Yeah. I know there's a problem. Yeah. My best friend uh, from college is black. 
I mean, he is so black. He was the best man at my wedding. He's so black that he used to tell me that he would get made fun of by other black people. Apparently, you know, I guess there's like levels to blackhood or something. <laughs> the more black you are, then other black people make fun of you because, you know, you're like really black. So yeah. he was like the really black black. I get that there's problems. I get that yeah. there's issues. Um, we've talked before on the podcast. I have literally seen the government, uh, the federal government, come in and railroad people. Like they're trying to send them to jail yeah. for the rest of their lives. And it is a complete railroad job. Uh, we've talked about on this podcast how we've had uh, uh, at least one guy in our church killed by cops and shot in the back. Yeah. You know, but uh, unfortunately for him and his family, he wasn't black. He was uh, Hispanic. And so, you know, the black communities really got it together as far as like, uh, you know, the, their leadership comes to town and gets all on the media and stuff like that. And uh, the Hispanic community hasn't, you know, organized quite like that. And so they don't get the publicity uh, that uh, that other groups get. And there are clearly issues in this country. And that's the only reason I didn't see it. It's like, I, I don't need to see it again to know that there are issues. Yeah. I get that there are issues. So I think yeah. the topic of how do we deal with this as a church, um, you know, I definitely want to dive into because, uh, you well, know, and yeah, I was just going to say, and one thing in, in making that transition to that is I remember someone saying, you know, we, cause you, you mentioned the white church, and it just kind of brings me back to, is that part of the problem, how we've separated out our churches? Because heaven's not going to be racially segregated. It's no. not going to be like. Well, you know, it's funny because I I had posted, and I agree with you about the media. I think the media does try to manipulate and get a good story and get good reviews. And we all know that about the media. And I, I had just posted the day before I had heard about it. Hey, in a world that um, delights in, you know, creating, uh, you know, racial division, a media, you know, fueled age or whatever, which they do for sure. Um, you know, it's it's good to see the kingdom of God bucking that and, and people coming together in unity. So in our church, we've got 50 percent African-American. We baptize, I baptize seven African people from the African-American community. But they are my community. This is my community. We are family. And that day was so special. I don't even know how to tell people. Like, as, as we did that baptism, we were family. We could not have been closer. And, and so, you know, as, as I look at the New Testament, the New Testament, one of the greatest trials that the early church had was overcoming these racial divisions that already existed. And the kingdom of God came to demolish those. Paul literally talks about the wall in the temple that separates in Ephesians, that separates uh, uh, Jew from Gentile. And that that was the racism that he grew up with. Um, and Paul was a very racist person. Well, yeah. And if you think about that, it, it was it was such an entrenched racism. Yeah. Like you didn't even talk to Gentiles. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. That was just like. You, they, you were, uh, they were they were dirty. You don't they acknowledge were, them. Yeah. Stay away. They were less than. They were subhuman. They were um, they were unholy. They were they were called unclean. Um, you, you know, you don't get more racist than than you know the, than they were then. Um, and and so here's the deal. 
um, Paul has to have all of that demolished. And he literally says to demolish that middle wall part, like to, to absolutely obliterate it. And, and you see that happening in the early church. And it's slow. Even the, even Peter needs this vision three times to tell him what's up and to tell him God's heart, that God uh, has created all, he loves all. And so here's the deal. I don't know what that cop's, uh, I don't know if he was a racist, um, you know, in the classic sense, like a guy who wears the, the KKK hood on the weekend, or if he's prejudiced, or if he's a closet race. I, I don't know what his deal is. I, I don't know if that day he was, but he was clearly out of control. And, and without making more comment to that day, what I'm concerned about is can the modern church demolish this middle wall? Because we hear it, like I fully respect and understand we're like, I just see it as the media ploy. But when you watch it, you well, I'm realize. Not saying it. I, I, I'm saying that was my initial reaction was, yeah, oh, is yeah. this just another media thing? Because that's what a lot of it is, is it's like they will say an inflammatory headline and you go and you watch the video and it's just, it's nothing, right? They're just that's trying it. to get your eyeballs. But it, it was because it kept up. It was persistent. And it made yeah. it into like a lot of the mainstream news. I was like, okay, there's something seriously going on here. I just what what I hear that seems to be a racist comment to me when I when I when these things happen, you get on Facebook, and it always comes from white middle class Americans. Which there's no crime of being a white middle class American, but you know, don't don't misunderstand me. Here's what I'm saying though: is there's this this core belief that seems to run deep that oh, there go those blacks again making everything into a race issue when it's clearly not a race issue. And, and, and what that does is it immediately gags every black person when they may have a, there may truly be a race issue, but our reaction, cause I agree with you, the media does fuel this fire. The re media is never interested in racial healing. Um, what they're interested in is a story. They, they do what they do. They want ratings. But this story needed to come out. This needed to be seen. I mean, there's there's other issues too. There's issues like police brutality in general, right? Mm. Um, I was in Europe where the cops don't carry guns um, and they're extremely polite. They will talk to you with respect. They will talk to you politely. Now, they're big. If you don't carry guns, you, you tend to be a big dude if you're a cop. And th these are some big, giant rugby players. And yeah, but, but see, are, everybody's big to you. <laughs> it's very true. But I, you know, I used to think Americans are big till I went over there. And these guys, you know, there was some some you Viking know, interracial mixing going on for I a number wanna, of years there. I did want to ask you, does um is there the same type of racism and and racial uh, animosity and issues? In like the UK, like there is here. Not against black people. The racism that happens there is akin to the racism that happens in Southern California with the Hispanic people, like the Mexicans. There's a lot of racism in California against Mexicans. And the uh, th to the point where recently I was with, when we were in Disneyland, I was with a Mexican church planner. And he said that God has really been able to use him because he says, I'm meeting with white church planners. And this broke my heart, man. He, he said, I'm going to the, to the Mexican leaders, the Mexican church planners in the community and saying, hey, they actually like us. They'll actually work with us because the average Mexican walks around 
um, kind of like the lower caste. They have like a ghost caste in India of people that are like sewer workers and they're not, to, they're not to speak. They're not to, you know, and, and there, there is a, a, a sense in them. Like the Mexican is seen and not heard. Mm. He, he acts quiet. It's kind of like the, the Chinese people. If you ever read John Steinbeck, East of Eden, he talks about the fact that uh, the main character has a, a, a butler or a manservant who is Chinese. And the whole time he's like, oh, me take you a jacket for you. And it turns out this Chinese guy has lived in America, you know, most of his life since he was a young man, speaks fluent English, uh, doesn't, doesn't talk like me, take you a jacket, you know. But he, he puts on that, that affect to, um, it, you know, it, it comes out at one point, he catches him and says, you're reading English. <laughs> he goes, yeah, okay, you caught me. And he goes, how long have you, and, and the guy's just talking, he goes, thing is, man, I got further in society by just playing, you know, the Chinese, you know, the stupid Chinese. And he goes, you know, and of course, this is in the 1800s. And he's like, you know, really, how threatened by me? Would you would you let me be your manservant if you knew I was as educated as you? And, you know, boom, boom, boom. And he goes on, and he raises this whole thing. And the guy comes back and goes, yeah, no, I kind of liked you in the role that you were in. You know, that's the role you should have. That's where you ought to be. You're my manservant. You shouldn't be smart. You shouldn't be educated. You, you should, you know, like the guy who does my laundry, the Chinese guy down at the laundromat. And so anyways, going back to this, um, in, in the UK, the racism that they have is kind of like, uh, um, it, it's against the Polish people. And for the same reason that all oh, the Polish people come here, they're, they're poor, they take all of our jobs. And so they have this real racism and it's identical to the racism against Mexicans hmm. in Southern California and probably other Southern states too. I don't know. But, um, but anyways, going back to this whole issue, what, what I want to see is a church. And this, this is the real question. When, when we come up to this, are we being guilty of saying, you know, oh, you know, um, those blacks, you know, they're just, they're just making it race again or, is this a community that's hurting because here's yet another uh, situation that has has told them and taught them that they are not the same, that they have been, um, you know, that, that things still are not okay in America, that there is a different justice system for them. And I, and I think the research shows, yes, there is a different justice system. Um, but But here's the deal. My real concern is, what is the church doing? What is white middle-class church doing about this? Are we being a part of the problem by not speaking up? And a, a friend of mine named A. David, um, listener to the podcast, he, uh, he wrote a blog. I don't remember. It wasn't the Ferguson one. I don't remember which one it was. But one of them, he wrote a blog post, and it was addressed to his white Christian friends and it was, hey, everybody, <laughs> hey, white church, I need to hear from you right now. I, I think the greatest concern from the black community when these things happen is that they are a lone voice in this. They're ministers, kind of like Martin Luther King Jr. They will speak up, but the white leaders are not speaking. White Christianity is not demonstrating that that middle wall partition has been broken down and standing up for the injustices 
done against the black community, which is a largely Christian community. Um, who knows? But they, you know, how would you feel if you knew that that girl was a regular Bible study attender? Um, she was born again Christian. Okay, maybe she was 16 years old and she was in a pool, uh, community pool that you know someone told her, hey, we're all going to go swim there. And she wasn't part of that community. Let me ask you guys, how many of you guys have ever swam in a pool that, uh, that that you weren't a part of the community and you knew that you might get busted? I did that all the time growing up. I never did. Baptist I did. minister father. I uh, had no I fun suppose, growing up. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I did stuff like that. How many times we snuck into theme parks. The difference was my friend's weren't black <laughs> oh there go those black people again sneaking in and doing those naughty things well i did that as a white teenager all the time <laughs> it's just if cops got called it didn't turn that ugly you know but i can tell you those kids were were acting very respectful when that cop showed up hmm. and uh and 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 so what i'm saying is so so going back to this okay so i i, I make a comment on this facebook post and I just, you know, I post, a, this is going back to Eric Mason's post. And I post a, a picture of my daughter and I just say, hey, you know, me too, man. Um, you know, this is my, and of course she's on my profile picture. And I say, I, I fully relate to you uh, with, with, with what you feel about that. And as I look down, I get a, um, I, I see, you know, the, uh, uh, I, I see the, um, um, there's a girl here, uh, a woman who says if she would have just done what the police officer asked her to do, then it would not have been so bad. And, you know, and, and, and that sparks me like, huh, you know, like, I don't, I don't think so, you know? And then she says, I pray that none of these people bashing the police need them in the future. We rush to judgment instead of wondering why our teenagers aren't obeying the police. The adults are setting such a bad example. Both were out of line. Just leave it at that. But you're talking about a teenager and an adult who's been trained and should be responsible. So it goes on. And I said, hey, maybe the kids don't trust the police for good reason. When the police no longer represent justice, it's difficult not to act out of fear in a situation that might wrongfully cost your life. And I'm talking about the kids who were running earlier. And, uh, and then she says they didn't really have any reason not to trust the police besides what the media might be telling them. This is it. And, and so what's ironic to me is all the blame. This reminds me of like when a girl gets raped, like it used to be really popular and, and, and it's now completely inappropriate, but it used to be acceptable in culture to say things like, well, um, what was she wearing? Right. You can't ask that question um, it has nothing to do with it. But it's the same kind of deal where everybody's going. Nobody's looking at, wait, this was a rape. It matters. Not, it doesn't matter a bit what she was wearing. Um, same with these kids. Um, it doesn't matter what they were doing. The action done against them was wrong. And I think that's what needs to be kept in focus. And so she writes back. She says, um, what reason would that be? And I just didn't answer that. And then she says, really, they didn't have any reason to trust besides uh, not to trust besides what the media might be telling them. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, adults giving kids permission to disobey police. 
Well, I haven't said that now, right? Um, hopefully you won't need these police who no longer represent justice if your life's family or your family's life is ever in danger. And I, I wrote, or if you're black, you know, my daughter's black, right? This could be my daughter. And she said, really? That's why she didn't obey the police because she was black? And you no, know, it takes a lot for me to write stuff on Facebook. I, I don't have little arguments. And I'm, I'm keeping in mind that this is someone's mom and someone's uh, wife. And so I'm not going to disrespect her. Um, but I wrote in response to that, no, the police acted the way they did because the people they arrived to on the scene were black. America has a long history of treating people differently based on the color of their skin. It used to involve lynching people from a tree without trial. Now it involves executing them without trial while hiding behind a badge or in the case of this young girl, an over excessive use of force, they cannot be excused and should not be tolerated by any citizen claiming to uphold the preamble of the constitution. You know, during the civil rights movement, people felt the exact same way about the protests that Dr. King led. They felt that the black community was overreacting to these injustice and it wasn't quote, really all that bad, unquote. And so I wrote, you know, I minister in the inner city, Long Beach. I've had members of my congregation wrongfully shot. Uh, they were running, even though they hadn't done anything wrong, they were running because they knew their lives were in danger and there'd be no justice for them. Like there might be for me and you, they were running because they were scared. And I put, I don't really expect you to understand. And I'm probably not going to change your mind. And that's where I left it. I didn't answer again, but she kept answering um, over and over, you know, about these things. And one of the things she said is, as a pastor, you seem to have a lot of hate in your heart. And so, look, this is not a diatribe against all police, but I do have hatred in my heart. I have hatred towards uh, this kind of behavior. I have hatred towards racism. I have hatred towards injustice. And I would pray that more pastors would have this hatred. I would pray that more white Christians would demonstrate the hatred for any kind of injustice, but more than a hatred, a love for, I mean, look, I, for, for the black community. And, and one of the things that through this, as I started looking through my friends, I started noticing that I really didn't have a lot of black minister friends. I have tons of white minister friends on my friends list. I have hardly any black minister friends. So I started going through it and befriending because I'm like, you know what? I want into this community, man. I want, like, it's all good to talk about it, but you know what? I'm not joining hands with the black Christian ministerial community. I can talk a good talk about, hey, you know, we, we, we need to start including black church planners in the conversation. Uh, we, we need to stop making it all white. We need to, you know, but what am I doing, man? And so for me to answer on this Facebook post was really, it, it was me being able to do something that I'm not seeing done often. And that is white Christians standing up for black Christians. That, by the way, is what turned the tide of the civil rights movement is when they watched uh, the march from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, when they watched the cops beating uh, the people on television, um, the white church stood up. And it, the, the civil rights movement really didn't gain uh, the threat that it was. Before that, it was, oh, those blacks acting up again. It wasn't until the white church stood up 
and said, we will not tolerate this. And guys, I'm just saying, isn't it time that, that the white church starts making its voice heard that like my buddy where he goes, hey man, I really need to hear from you guys right now. I think it's shocking to the black community when a white Christian stands up and says, this was wrong. Because right now we're not doing that. We're, we're answering uh, for the police. We're answering, uh, what were they doing wrong? What was she wearing? Um, we're answering, we're, we're actually asking the wrong questions, I believe, right now. But that's me on my soapbox, Pete. No, I, well, you know, I completely get it. And, um, and I agree that, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, I, one of the things that doing all of this church planner stuff that you and I do, now doing this podcast for the last, you know, two years, whatever it's been, Whereas before I was, I was very into politics. I mean, the very first book that I published was a book called Modern Day Heroes in Defense of America. And, and uh, my co-author and I, we reached out to all the senators, all the governors, all the congressional members, and uh, got stories of heroes from their states and their communities. And I loved politics, really was into it. Interestingly enough, left the Republican Party after doing that book because I met too many Republicans. <laughs> and I was like, you guys are just just as bad as everyone else. And so I'm now technically uh, I'm a in California. We've got a little box called Decline the State. I am not part of any political party <laughs> and I'm never going back. I can't I literally can't stand Republicans or Democrats, either one of them. I don't like them. Yeah. And because uh, neither one of them are truthful. I mean, it is all about money and power. And that's really what they're after. And we get we believe, oh, no, I believe he's there for the good. Of no, he's not. He's just not. <laughs> I kind of have this general feeling if you're running for uh, for office, you're not to be trusted. Um, but, uh, but but, you know, I try not to comment on most of the things that really inflame me on Facebook because I I'm coming at it from the standpoint now of how is this going to serve people who don't know God? Cause I got a lot of friends who don't know God. I got a lot of friends who are Mormons. I got a lot of friends who uh, are atheist or, you know, maybe grew up in the, the church, but have no, uh, you know, connection to it today. And, you know, maybe don't even believe in any of it today. And I'm like, you know, how is how is me taking a stance on certain issues going to help bring them to know Christ? Right. And because let's face it, in the white community, I mean, I've been seeing all kinds of things in my Facebook feed about, oh, you know, so-and-so at Fox News points out that that 16-year-old girl was no angel. And I don't know what her history is. Yeah, they always do that. They always – well, I can tell you on on the day – um, she was she was not acting like a devil. You well, know? but here's the thing: the reason why that's showing up in my newsfeed is because people I know are sharing that story. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and like, it's white people. Well, I'm sure it's white people. I mean, that's the bulk of the people that are friends in my uh, <laughs> feed. I'm, I would assume. I don't know. I I got like I don't know five six hundred friends, and I don't even know who half of them are. <laughs> people friend yeah. me all the time. I think because of the podcast. And, and I'm just like, you know what? Okay. This is just stupid. Like we're missing the point. Yeah. We're missing the point. The point is there are people who don't know God. There is a hurting community 
And maybe there's a way that we can use this to bridge the gap. And maybe it is exactly what you're saying, which is take a stand, say this is not right. We should not be treating people this way. And we need to be showing people the love of God. You know, there's uh, there's the verse. You know what it is. I don't know the the uh, the address of the verse, but they'll know that we're Christians by our love. Yeah. And like the one thing we don't show is our love. We don't show yeah. it. Instead, yeah. we put on Facebook. You know, oh look at this! I can't believe this. Oh, and, she's not an angel. Yeah. And and and, here's and neither the thing. am I. My gosh! You know, <laughs> what was she wearing? But, you know, it's funny because what I think the psychology is, is a lot of white Christians do not think of themselves as racist. And so there's a knee-jerk defensiveness and they're a bit insulted. Well, yeah, they're a bit insulted when they hear this because they're like, hey, I'm white. I don't hate black people. And so they get angry. The insinuation angers them. Um, and, And they take it personally, like... You're saying that, you know, because this cop was white, that he, you know, and, and that's where it comes from. But I think we need to be careful because it, here's the deal. You have to you have to put that aside and you have to say, OK, this isn't against me personally. Um, I don't see myself as a racist. I, I, I love black people. <laughs> Again, look at your Facebook friends list and <laughs> you'll know how much you love black people. But here's the deal. Um you're, you need to look at it as how can I witness Jesus in this? Imagine, like you said, there are people in that black community there who don't know Jesus or they, they don't trust. Maybe they don't really trust Christianity because they see Christianity still segregated. Church is still segregated. Well, they are. They, That's they, the thing. That's what I was getting at at the very beginning. Our churches are very segregated. You get yes. the Chinese church. You got the black church. And then it's kind of like in America, right? We live in this hyphenated culture. We got African-American. We got Chinese-American, Korean-American. And then what are you and I? Oh, we're just American. What does that mean? It means we're white, right? And it's kind of like, oh, we've got the black church. We've got the Chinese church. And then we got the church. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, that's the white church. And that's not that's not we it. focus we focus on the wrong thing in these situations it's not doesn't matter how that girl if she's an angel or not it doesn't matter what matters is this was a 16 year old girl um she was treated wrongly and if it was a race issue then we need to stand up against it we need to make our voice heard because i see the african american community in these situations i see them as almost helpless because of their skin color, they can't bat from their own corner, just like the civil rights movement. Um, it, as long as it was just going to be uh, that the black people were upset, it was not going to be successful. It had it had to gain the support of the white community. And I'm just saying, what if kind of like with the AIDS deal back in the 80s, when I wrote that article for Leadership Journal, and I said, if we had stood up way back in the 80s as the church and said, you know what? Um, people from the alternative lifestyle, we are not going to gay, lesbian, whatever. We're not going to ask any questions. We're the body of Christ and we are going to fund AIDS research because we see you dying. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to have the hope of eternity. We want you to stick around long enough so we can love you and give you the gospel, which is classic missionary work, right? That's why you go as a missionary overseas and you feed people, but no, not if you're gay. That, that was the stance the church took, right? The church was like, what is she wearing? 
what have they been doing that caused this? And so what we did back in the 80s is we completely shunned that community and we took our hands off of AIDS research. And we had the ability back then to be known for the right thing that like the, like, the, you know, Hey, perfect time to bring this up, right? The road to Jericho, the good Samaritan. The point is, is that the Samaritan is overcoming the racial barriers to help someone different from him, right? To help this man who is a Jew who wouldn't lift his finger to help him because of racism and the good Samaritan who's seen as dirty and evil. Jesus makes him the hero of the story and says he basically acted as the righteous one. This is how you love people. This is how you show my love to the world. If the church would do this right now, if the church would say, hey, shut up, Fox News. Hey, shut up, you know, talks of of, of all this other stuff. We're not going to ask what she's wearing. We're going to go there and we're going to stand up for our black brothers and sisters, our black minister friends, and we're going to say, hey, we are standing up for them. We are defending the defenseless. Because right now, that's what the body of Christ needs. And I believe that people in the black community, if they would see that from the white church, they would heal a lot of wounds. It would demolish a lot of walls of partition. And it would actually begin to demonstrate the kingdom of God. The only way that I know that we're going to get the media's attention is the same way it happened in the civil rights, right? The media is basically bent on fueling racial hatred. I don't believe they have a vested interest. But what I love is they are exposing this, even if it's for the wrong motive. It's like when Paul goes, hey, you know what? Um, nonetheless, Christ is preached. Nonetheless, the the problem is being highlighted. But what is the church what if you took your white going church, to do about it? What if you took your white church on a field trip and all all your, your people, you took them one Sunday morning over to your, your black church neighbor and you yeah. worshiped with them for morning? Think about the impact that would have on an all-black church when all of a sudden all these white people show up and are like, hey, we want to worship with you guys today. Can you imagine that, dude? Oh, my gosh, dude. They that come would be in and they say, hey, we saw the we saw the clip, and uh, we just want to come here and pray with you guys, man. And, you know, and, and uh, here's the thing. The, the problem is, and I think you hit on it at the very beginning, not enough of those those pastors are talking to each other. Yeah. Right. You know, it's not like you got the uh, the white pastors friends with the black pastors and, hey, you know, this is what we want to do this Sunday. We want we want to come out there and pray with you guys because we're not talking to each other. Yeah, absolutely, man. Maybe they're in the wrong denomination. You're a Baptist and they're a Methodist. I don't know. Whatever. Right. And it's like, I don't know. But yeah, I, no, that's a that's a that's a powerful thing, man. I remember, you know, funny enough in closing, because I know we got to finish up here. Yeah, but I remember over. going uh, down over. the road. What's that? So we're way over. <laughs> I remember going down the road. There's a there's an all black Pentecostal church down the road from me. And uh one one day Andrew's away before we had Eden, so it was two years ago. And I was like, you know, I always want to go check that church out. And uh, we went down there, and uh, I walked through the door, and of course, Liberty Grace, right? She's my, whether I like it or not, like my like my friend said, he's black. He's like, hey, because uh, uh, because I told him, I said, man, I always want to be a part of the black community when I was when I was young, and he goes, well, you are now, and it's sure <laughs> enough, man. I walked into that church, and it was like, but you don't got to have a black daughter, man. You just got to love people, you know. You're that's your family, you know, regardless of the color of their skin. Uh, that's your family. 
And in, in, and I think with the average white Christian, the gospel has worked on their heart enough to where they're, they're very sensitive to these things. But I did have to wonder when I was on Facebook, I had to wonder about the woman that was, uh, taking such great offense at the indignation that people had. I had to wonder how much has the gospel truly worked in your heart where you're angry that others are angry about this. And, you know, could, could you really just stop and ask the question, you know, like I said, you know, what, what, how would your view change if you knew that that girl, you know, angel or no, was going to Bible study, maybe, maybe trying to follow God? Would it change your perspective about how, you know, does it really matter what she was wearing? You know, I'm afraid, I, I'm actually afraid that it wouldn't change. I'm afraid yeah. enough people would say, well, it didn't sink in. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. afraid that people would have that, that viewpoint. Yeah. But I, I just, again, even the racism in asking that question, you know, r- there is a racism inherent in saying she was no angel. There's a, we have to find fault. We have to justify it. We have to somehow defend the situation because I do, I do think if it were a white teenager and race did not come into it, I think we would be hearing a very different outcry. Well, and, and part of it is we wouldn't probably be hearing about it. Yeah. There may not be enough sensational story. It, it was interesting. I was, um, I've been watching a movie on Netflix called Nightcrawler. I saw it when it was in the theater and it's about this guy who's a TV, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays this guy who, uh, at night they film like all the crashes and stuff. And then he sells the footage to the TV station. It's like one of the very first scenes when he's meeting with, uh, Rene Russo's character who, is like the station manager for this one TV uh, news department. She's like, you know, I don't want, I don't want families from Corona. Don't get me Hispanics. We want white people getting shot, getting carjacked. Cause that's, what's going to get everybody all inflamed. And yeah. the point was the the media is there for itself. Right. And you said it before, they're not interested in justice. They're not interested in, and that type of stuff, they just want, you know, eyeballs, right? They're, they're there to make money. So we as a church have to realize there's going to be this stuff. It's going to come out and it's going to be all over the place. But how can we, you know, how can we stand up? How can we let a community know that we're not all right with unjust things, that God's not all right with unjust things? Yeah. No, he's not okay. Yeah, and, he's not. I mean, we're not showing that to people. We're not showing people our love. Exactly. We should be known for not tolerating injustice, for standing up for racial equality. That would be something like the AIDS research that we should be known for love. As you pointed out, you said that brilliantly. And that's probably a good place to end. But hey, church planner, uh, what are you going to do? This Sunday, I would challenge you, stand in front of your congregation and pray into it. And if anyone gets mad at you because you've prayed into the hurt of the situation, well, that'll tell you a lot. But, uh, you know, perhaps uh, the church ought to be making its voice heard, the white church. That's surely my uh, take on this. But leaders, it's got to start with us. Make your voice heard, and let's hope that our people get the heart of God. Maybe even address it on Sunday morning. But white church, stand up your black brothers and sisters. And uh, this has been the Church Planner Podcast, reminding you today that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. And also reminding you that this particular episode was brought to you by Simplify Church.
<laughs> I forgot that. Which they're probably like, great guys, way to give me an ad spot right at the end of that topic. <laughs> all right, SimplifyChurch.com. They will meet all of your bookkeeping needs. Be sure to go check them out. SimplifyChurch.com. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music